okay, I'm going to do this dance. Where can we push it? And so then the weird work kind of comes out. That energy attracts the same kind of energy. That's Eileen Sun, who's founder and creative director of Other Studio in Chicago. Um, Eileen and her studio have done a bunch of amazing work for Open Table, Pivotal, Grand Circus Magazine, AIGA, and others. Um, I, I think if I took one thing away from my conversation with Eileen, it's just the thoughtfulness and care with which she approached sort of nurturing and growing her studio. Um, I don't think I've ever spoken to somebody who, you know, just put that much thought into what it takes to bring other people um, into the fold that, you know, it's more than just hiring someone. You're sort of, there's, there's a relationship there and there's reliance and understanding and openness. And if you don't actively work to cultivate those things, you're really just kind of creating trouble for yourself down the road. Um, which is, you know, those are lessons that, uh, I, I think I learned the hard way. Um, so listen to Eileen, uh, figure it out early. The question was, uh, just about scaling from, from one to two and like what that, that first hire was like. Yeah. So that, oh man, it's just so much debate. And I talked to a lot of friends when I was first starting out or, um, that were maybe going through a similar thing, other like letterers or uh, people just starting like their own business from their passion. And it's, it's so much like turmoil and uh, nights like staying up and thinking because for me, especially, I wanted to make sure that I could responsibly, you know, hire somebody. I felt like the well-being, um, you know, of their just like career and like maybe, you know, how this job would bleed over into their life and like yeah. financially, like could I, um, you know, provide something that was livable. And so it took me a really, really long time to figure out if I could, um, you know, have someone more full time than just like lending a hand or something here and there. And I think that was a, a good way to actually start out was um, bringing on that, you know, first person at more of like a contract basis so yeah. that I could be very transparent and say, hey, I'm just starting out. I've got quite a bit of work that I need help on. Um, you know, there's always an opportunity to develop a relationship where maybe we could work a little bit more together. But um, I need to, you know, step into this very, uh, <laughs> very gently. Um, and here's what I can offer. And I think that that honesty and just like that initial period of negotiating and, and saying exactly where you are, putting it on the table allows for someone to like really understand the full picture. And then they get to be part of that process too, to say like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Um, I either see value in what you are able to um, provide at this point or not. And that actually really helped, you know, me as like a small studio owner at that time feel like, okay, I'm doing this in a way that feels fair for everybody. Uh, and that was what that first stage looked like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, the fact that you're even just thinking about that stuff puts you, you know, in a place where 
you know, so many people hiring are just approaching it from this perspective of like, well, what do I get? Or how do I, how do I protect my investment? Or how do I make sure I'm not like throwing a bunch of money down the drain? You know, all these sort of defensive things. But I, I, my guess is that in those situations, people are being defensive because they're scared. Yes. Yeah. And like money and business are just like (laughs) two evils that are tied together that also like happen (laughs) to, you know, measure the success of business and whether you can sustain it. However, I think like for me and my, my past experience, because, um, like design is so much a passion and I, I, um, really like live and breathe creative work. I couldn't separate the fact that, um, someone needed to be both happy and feel like they're opting in and understand what they're doing and that culturally they were, um, going to work with someone that like aligned with their values. So like a lot of like, I think personal or like feeling or value-based, um, conversations came up first. And then I was also like, yeah, like, I don't want to accidentally like go into the red and then be in a worse position to be like, Hey, so turns out, (laughs) (laughs) turns out I brought you on, but, uh, money. So yeah, I mean, I think that's really important too. A lot of, um, a lot of recruiters or, um, you know, just other businesses or something, they, they look at it as a role and that feels so cold. And then they look for people that are like, um, you know, can succeed in that role. Um, but the, the whole conversation is just like a, a body into like an open title spot. And I just like, I can't really look at hiring in that way. So it's a little bit. Yeah. Different. Well, especially, especially that early on, you know, like you're saying, if you're going from one person to two, where it's like a, your, your company just got a hundred percent bigger. I mean, I could see if you, you know, <laughs> you're running a, a thousand person company and you're hiring one more person, it's like, totally. it, it's easy to feel like that's falling into this thing of like, you know, filling a seat, you know, to your, like, to your point. But when, when you're so small, when you bring one person on the culture shift from one person to two is massive. You go from a point to a line, um, well, you know, it, and, and like that, you know, it, it goes through or like from a monologue to a conversation. I mean, it really is this sort of like fundamental switch in terms of, like how how you're operating and and what your studio culture is. Yeah, and actually that's a really interesting distinction um between like hiring is like yes, the size of the organization. So my organization was the size of one growing to two and an organization that's a thousand may seem like it's its process is different, but when you kind of distill that all the way down to the hiring manager and the recruiter. I think those like kind of conversations or that feeling, that consideration could still exist, right? Because the scale comes down. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's easy to look at like large corporations and be like, well, they just, they have a system and they have a process, (laughs) but I think there's still like a lot of hopefully, you know, wonderful people going through the same kind of negotiations and conversations. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's like, there's room to run a, a sort of considerate, empathetic, larger business. Yeah. Right. But like, you know, does it always happen? I guess is, is something else, but yeah, I like, I totally, I totally agree that that's like something to, that, that can exist and like should be, you know, people should, should strive for. Yeah. Um, I, you know, but maybe, maybe it's just me being jaded or something with, with large companies. I, I have no idea. I'm showing my bias here. 
Yeah, no, I mean, like, I think it's, I think actually it's because when we say like, I'm sure that does exist, it's like, well, you know, we hear the stories otherwise. And I think that's like, you know, yeah. it's a whole different podcast, but launching a generation of skepticism, just like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you were talking about kind of when you're bringing someone in sort of the culture that you're bringing them into and being clear about the culture that you want to create. I mean, you know, culture is like one of these things that, that doesn't exist in a vacuum and that, that you sort of have a culture, whether you attempt to establish one or not, like how, how did you go about creating a culture and, and how conscientious was that? And like, did it happen the way you wanted? Yeah, I think, you know, my, I've definitely experienced working in, um, working for people where I, I don't feel like that was like a big investment. Like the work always came first. Yeah. Um, and that is, that's a, it can be a risky place to be because I think if you have too much tunnel vision in like excellence and delivering and work, a lot of other things can fall off the table as you're like trying to meet all of these deadlines. And when you think about like, creating a sustainable work environment and one where people are happy and, um, you know, performing well or like delivering well or doing interesting work. Um, you can't really knock those things off the table and assume that people are going to stay. So, um, having had those kind of experiences, I went into, um, the studio or, you know, even my freelance practice at first being like, I, have to believe that there is a way to reach a high design standard or deliver great work without that feeling like that there's got to be a way right like either a, a process or a, like different kind of um, communication or expectations like whatever it is and so I personally am like okay if I keep that in mind I'll always operate without you know forgetting that. So when I'm hiring the first person, I think that conversation was more about like a relationship. It's almost like not like a friendship, but like do we do we get along because it's going to be bumpy, right? Like it's going to be the first time. So like personality-wise, team collaboration-wise, like uh is this like is this going to be an open space for you to tell me things that you need and for me to tell you things that I need. And that was super important. Um, and that kind of started the base of the culture, I guess, is knowing that like we had to be um, collaborative, even if they were working for me. Uh, and then once we started to grow and get a little bigger, bring on a couple more people, I think that um, – you just start to like <laughs> bring in other people that think that way, right? Or that able to communicate that way or um, appreciate being communicated to that way. Uh, and so I tried to keep in mind like um, being transparent and being honest in the beginning, um, always working on setting better expectations for uh, what the job is and uh, what, you know, kinds of things we're going to focus on or what the opportunity I perceive might be. And then I'm always trying really hard to get better at making sure I'm aware that I need to create like an open feeling environment so that whoever's talking to me, um, even as we're negotiating, feels 
safe enough or comfortable enough to respond honestly because that's what it really takes. Like I'm going to come in and say honestly, like here's where we're at at the studio. Here's the size. Here's the project. They need to feel comfortable enough to also respond honestly or else, you know, there's chance for the expectations to um, to be a miss. And I have to recognize that like I'm the hirer, I'm going to be the creative director. There's like a sense of authority there. And I always want to make sure that it feels fair. So that's the other side maybe that is a, a big building block to culture. And then the third part um, is probably just the work and the type of uh, style and aesthetic that other studio has and uh, conceptual approach to work. It's just very, I think, unusual. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I think that, you know, is more of like a, maybe a passive influence to the culture, but because of the, the way our work gets out there into the world, um, we get a certain type of client that is like, interested in um that visual language and so that starts to define like maybe the third pillar of our culture so the first is like really probably my past experience the second is the environment that you know we create together and the openness and the third is just like the wacky work (laughs) (laughs) that we do yeah and so like first in terms of these pillars like are those like, did you just come up with that or have those been defined sort of things that everybody knows about within your organization? Uh, it's probably reverse, actually. Um, if So I did just come up with that. <laughs> sounded really good. Oh, oh, I'm so glad. I will put that on the website, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I think it's like probably reverse in perception, like externally looking at the studio. I think it's easy to see the work we do and assume like maybe that is the a defining characteristic of what culture might like be at other. And then I think, um, this, it, yeah, it probably happens reverse. You get to meet someone at the studio, you work with them, you reach out, there's some conversation, um, other outside of primarily doing like branding and identity work, um, has always tried to interact with the community that it's a part of, whether that's an event or just like opening up the studio. Um, so there's always an opportunity to interact with the people that work um, within other. And then the part that is probably most personal <laughs> probably doesn't really make it out there that much without like an, an individual relationship uh, with me or working at the studio. But that's why I'm really excited about the podcast. Um, this is like a nice way to expose, I guess, some of that more um, personal story that is, I mean, if you're running something, like you might as well put that out there because it's very defining of the things that you focus on. And so I'm like, cool, maybe now it will, uh, it'll be the the way that I've explained it the first way, one, two, three, instead <laughs> of three, two, one. <laughs> and like one, one part of that that really sort of struck a chord with me was this idea of creating a culture of openness, like a, 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 a environment where people feel really comfortable sort of saying what matters to them or, or what's important to them. Um, as, as a, a leader, you know, or a boss or like, however you want to frame it, like, how do you 
avoid that being kind of like the prevailing dynamic where it's like, well, they work for you. So part of the job's about like making you happy. Like, how do you, how do you show them that like, no, you, you actually do care and want to hear what they think and have that affect the work? That is a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think like as a creative director or like a, a manager or just even like leading a project, like there's, everyone has a role, but I don't know if that role ever <laughs> needs to like trump everyone on the team treating each other like decent um, yeah. or respectfully. And I think openness is a, is a foundation of being able to work on a team. Um, I think where that gets closed off again is this like, I don't know if it's like fear or like stress or anxiety and not having, um, you know, not having invested in, in different ways to communicate expectation or different ways to communicate, um, things needing to get revisited or redesigned. Um, I think in areas where I like hopefully have some strength as like a creative director is flexibility and fluidity and like problem solving on the fly and trying to mitigate problems. So um, if things are open and people are talking to me and they're having issue completing a work or like having uh, some confusion or or needing to work through something, um, I feel pretty comfortable saying, okay, like we can work flexibly to figure out still the best solution from here. So that troubleshooting point is an important skill, but it's that one-on-one conversation that probably makes things feel very open. And that's, again, a lot easier when the scale of your business is small. So when I consider scaling up and if it is harder to have all of these like one-on-one conversations or troubleshooting times, it's like much more important to invest in the you know, either is it like HR, is it a a better support system or process to make sure that like you can not only like scale the output of your work and scale the size of your team, but like scale the things that you're good at if it is like being flexible and being open and, you know, that side of business as well. Um, But, you know, I'm always trying to grow too um, and practice things like expectation settings that that's different for uh different employees and different designers and also you know being better at setting clear goals with different designers and so all of that is um top of mind constantly but (laughs) and your last point about it being weird i i mean i my mind goes to some places but like please (laughs) tell me what you mean by that Oh, wait, what's weird? Oh, you're saying like your third pillar is around this kind of like weird work. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So I think, um, okay, I'm just, it's going to go back probably to just like a a personal career path, but like I've always wanted to try to push the limits of what people expect for creativity or design solutions and what that might look like for a project brief. And I think when I was like younger, it was maybe from like an angsty place and just like kind of not knowing why I wanted to push forth this like weirder design solution. Um, But as I got older and progressed through my career, I realized um, 
that those solutions could be really valid. You could do wild work, but it had to be through the lens of answering like a a problem, whatever the brief was, um, whatever was being asked of you. You can't just wildly throw a solution at someone and be like, trust me here. Yeah. So um, taking that like kind of expressive design work and mapping it to the brief, mapping it to like whatever was being measured um, and making sure that it was answering that first allowed actually the door to open to get real crazy and wild with the creative. And so that was like a personal philosophy. And then when I brought it into the studio, um, I think it attracted a similar kind of energy because I don't think that that's, um, you know, that's not special to me. There's a lot of people that feel like, yeah, I'm just always trying to push different ideas, whatever that might be. Um, and so we always try and like, you know, I guess collect and embrace and empower that energy and then look back at the the client's ask and say, did we map that to their ask? Um, But what happens too then is if we succeed and we do a good job and we really push what was expected, that's the work that we release out. That's what the client loves and releases out and embraces. And then all of a sudden that becomes our portfolio of work and it attracts you know, that energy attracts the same kind of energy. Um, and so we just constantly kind of go down this path where people are like, okay, I'm going to do this dance. (laughs) (laughs) Where can we push it? Um, and so then the weird work kind of comes out or the fun work, the fun clients. I think that speaks really nicely to this thing I have in, in run studio run. There's this idea of like your work begets your work that, Mm -hmm. that like the work you do and show leads to the type of work that you're going to do and show um, that. And maybe it's because I, I don't know, I've thought about like different reasons for this. Part of it might be that like clients aren't creative. So they, they see something and they're like, yes, I like that. I want something like that. <laughs> um, or, you know, maybe it's because the work you're really passionate about is the stuff that you put the most energy into and you feel the best doing. So you want to do more of that. Um, but that kind of like cultural element of like being attracted to a particular type of work, um, or, or style of work or setup or like anything like that, um, I think is this really interesting, like undercurrent in terms of how a studio operates. Yeah. I mean, I think a portfolio represents like trying to put together these case studies, um, to say, Hey, here's what you don't know. Um, we've done it before and this is what it could look like. I mean, I don't like clients don't know what they don't know. I don't know what I don't know. (laughs) And so communication becomes so important and like listening, like if we get in contact with a client and they feel, which is an interesting substitute, does a client feel comfortable approaching a design studio? Yeah, I would love to revisit that. Um, but yeah, and like we're engaged in a conversation, it becomes so important to listen to them and hear the story and understand the situation. Um, and then it's like just being able to reflect back to them, like, I totally hear you. I love your idea. I'm really energized for it. Like, I don't feel at that point very, um, you know, I, I get really excited about literally any project. I'm like, oh man, I just <laughs> feel like I, I see the constellations. Um, and then it, it just comes back to like being able to communicate back to them. 
um, what their ask is and a recommendation for a solution. And once that trust is established, I just try to make sure that I'm being very responsible in the way that I'm presenting work back to them. So they feel like they're along on the journey yeah. and they are, that they don't have to make risky decisions on their own without understanding. Because sometimes creative feels like a risky decision or like an evil that must be... <laughs> must be addressed, you know? It's yeah. not everybody's um, heart and passion, and I understand that, but their idea is. And so um, I always try to nurture that idea. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, th there's like this, there's this honesty in that, which I think is really nice because I, you know, I've been in the situation where I've like been at other studios or like bigger studios and any new project that comes in, you know, you just hear this, like, we're super excited about the work. We'd love to do the project you know, like this type of thing, which just feels, it feels more like sales than it feels like honesty. Um, but then yeah. this sense of like, if you can, if you can actually communicate that in a sense that the client can like pick up on and, and believe in, yeah. like of course they want to work with someone who's excited about, <laughs> like about the project. Wow. That's such um, a great point. Actually. I'd never, <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing that down. Um, no, yeah, that, that salesy approach. Yeah. Like, um, do you have to so literally say that you're excited or can it come yeah. through? Yeah. Right. It's like the sort of, sh you know, the show don't tell mm -hmm. like approach, um, where like it, it should, like, you should be able to carry it like with your face, um, you know, or just like your, like your, your personality and your attitude. Um, but for some reason, like when the words come out, it, it feels, it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think also it comes through like communication at all points is so important, but there's always moments to show your character. For me, I think like investing and listening can come through like in the first yeah. five minutes or 10 minutes of, you know, hearing a client talk. And so uh, I think it's really important to invest in that initial conversation with hearing them and feeling confident that you can respond. I mean, I think at that point you have to rely on all of your experience to um, probably think very quickly, how am I going to respond to something? I don't even know <laughs> what right. they might say. Uh, yeah. Do you have any, like any sort of um, things you're really looking for in those initial client conversations or things you're, you're sort of strongly looking to avoid? Yeah. Um, I think no one really likes the feeling of being like a sales, like salesy take because there you can pick up on like a sense of like, I don't know if it's like a veneer of dishonesty, but like in, or, in order to like do good work, right? Like or to bring on a new employee or whatever it is, like I really value like honesty. And so like that veneer of like selling on either end, I think yeah. is unnecessary. And I think it also kind of downplays um, the professionalism of the other person you're talking to, right? Mm -hmm. you, it's a little bit of trust if you put forth like the honest problem and the honest answer. It trusts the other person to like, you know, process that and come up with a good uh, response. But if everything's too salesy and everything's got that polished veneer, it's like yeah. really hard to get to the point. You're just, everyone's buzzwording all over the place. Uh -huh. So that's yeah. like kind of the first thing that I look for. Um, yeah. And then the second thing that I think is really inspiring is uh, 
I'm sure people say this all the time, but like you learn so much from your clients in every project. And I do look for how well the client can speak to their project or their company. And it's less about um, whether or not I think we should do the job or not, but more like, okay, it helps me build an understanding of what they might need. Um, So I, I look, I hear investment in the voice or like passion, but also like knowledge and understanding and like a deep um, experience in what they're doing in their field or whatever. Um, And that just helps me assess, okay, like what, how much, of this relationship and our design process or our strategy process is going to be appropriate here. Yeah. I love what you're saying about honesty. And I I think, I think it's the type of thing that's very easy for people to misconstrue, um, which is people might think about that as like, I'm not lying. Um, That honesty is like not lying, but there's, a piece to it that's just sort of like that you're willing to represent the parts of the project that that might be more difficult mm-hmm. or that might be a you know a source of tension mm-hmm. um and that you're willing to like you're willing to talk about the hard part or the part that mm-hmm. might not go so well mm-hmm. um because if everything like to your point about like a veneer like if everything sounds perfect then <laughs> it feels like something's being hidden from you because we all, we all have done this for too long to know that like nothing's perfect. Um, and and so like just being able to talk about the hard part, um, ends up being, you know, how to me, at least like how that honesty is communicated. Yeah. Um, Like I remember one thing, you know, one sort of strategy, I guess we adopted in, in hiring was like when, we meet with someone at some point during the interview, we just try to describe the job as accurately as we possibly can. Um, Like including, you know, the parts that might suck. So if we're hiring an office manager, it's just like, yes, this does involve taking out trash and, you know, and making coffee and like just being as clear as we possibly can about the job and like what, what works, how, you know, you might be doing this for a little bit longer than, you know, you want to. And like your advancement depends on potentially other people leaving or the business, you know, like just getting into all of the problems. And then at the very end of that, just asking like, do you want to do that? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I mean, and like, that is a great example of like trusting that the other person is processing and listening and also, you know, asking themselves the same thing so that they can have their own like, (laughs) uh, autonomy and decision-making there because they like understand all of the things. Not to say like, you know, you got to, you got to put all, what is the saying? Put all of your cards on the table. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty good thing that air your, um, dirty laundry. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Um, yeah. Like you don't want to like dump on them, but that's where I think like that wittiness or like, um, experience or uh, like just being smart comes through because like identifying vulnerabilities or identifying friction areas or identifying like problems isn't a weakness. That's very smart. Um, And so I think that is like a great um, thing to consider when you're like, you know, am I, am I being honest? And then (laughs) 
a good filter to be like, am I being honest in a way that's kind of like too much? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or being honest right. in a way that's like helpful. Um, and I think it, it does come down to like, yeah, is this honestly helping someone make like a best informed decision? Like from employee side, from the client side, from studio side, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, and then I think in the past or just, I don't know, historically in running a business, identifying vulnerable areas or like friction areas or whatever it might be could be seen as like weakness or uncertainty, um, client side too, I'm sure. And what I think you can do to mitigate that or like change the perception of that is to be just be really confident in what you can do mm-hmm. and confident in your experience, your capabilities, your years of doing this, feel really good about your case studies and yeah. have practiced being able to communicate to that. And then it's like, you know, no one's, everyone's growing, getting better at all of this negotiating conversation, but like at least you can be like, feel good about that, feel good about having the hard conversations and feel good about, you know, being confident in yourself and feeling good. I maybe more like, um, familiar, (laughs) familiarize yourself with both of those and feel okay. Yeah. Like that's, that's perfect because I think different people have trouble with each of those elements. Mm. Right. That for someone, you know, say like a lot of designers are really good at being self-critical. Oh, right? man. That's like a, you know, like primarily introverted audience, like, you know, the whole like the self-critical thing tends to to come out a lot. And so, you know, maybe to a lot of people hearing like explaining what's difficult or what doesn't work, maybe that part comes really naturally to them. It's very mm-hmm. easy for them to see, you know, the flaws, the problems. But, you know, what you just said is, is as important, you know, if not more important, which is like, you also need to have confidence in like what is working and what is worth sticking around for. And like, you know, because if all you're doing is explaining like all the reasons why something doesn't work, I mean, that's, that's a strategy. (laughs) But I don't know how sustainable that is long term. Um, But, you know, being able to be like really confident in, in what you are good at and what you do like to do and where your studio is headed, you know, and all of those things. Uh, are are the kind of the the future that people are really buying into? Yeah, and I think um, also like yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I laughed when you're like uh, self critical to the point where it's like, oh, do we only address the problems? And it's like yeah. that's an easy place to go when you are like assessing your own design work and your habits and stuff like that. Um, but it made me think back and call back to earlier in the conversation when we were like when do you bring on that first employee um, and ne- like observing your relationship with yourself when you're working. Cause I, I definitely think that's a familiar place to be very self critical of my work so that I can self critique it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so easy to duplicate that like personal reaction um, with others. And you have to be so mindful of that in, in every way. Um, and that makes me think back to studio culture too, where it's just like, did self-criticism get too like, fam- I guess, like just defined the culture of a studio because you didn't, you know, negotiate whether that was like kind of a lot. <laughs> yeah. Maybe okay for you, not for everyone else. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, like a lot of it I think has to do with like where people come from, you know, like as as designers, like, you know, in design school, like critique is the norm, 
Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, just starting out maybe in a bigger studio, like critique is the norm. Like a lot of people end up in situations where they're hearing a lot more about what's not working than what is. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can really beat you down. You know, I mean, that can, that can make you not feel great about your work. If, if the only thing you're hearing about it is, you know, is where it can be improved, um, then you're probably not going to be so confident in what you're doing. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, I think particularly like as a studio leader, that ends up being so important. It's just like having that, having that sense for like where, you know, where the balance is, like how, how critical can you be? Do you want to pick your shots with being critical and like also absolutely keeping an eye out for those situations, like where you can really build people up or you can talk about like how great their work is or what they did that you really love. Yeah, it's such a balance because you do have to talk to both things that are working really well and things that aren't working. But um and and this so this exchange I'm talk, gonna talk about happens both ways, but being able to make sure you're turning it into an education experience so yeah. that everyone understands why something isn't working or why it's not gonna move forward and what is working and what is gonna work forward. And I think that's the same thing in in both directions. And in school, um, it really is, you know, the professor, um, the kind of like authority figure uh, that critiques. And sometimes there's peer critique too. But that can happen in the other way where someone, you know, a designer feels empowered to push back or explain. And then that might, you know, sway the way the professor talks about it, your project or sway the way your creative director reconsiders the solution you put forth. And I think it's like feeling comfortable, making sure that conversation is respectful and then education at the core of it. It's just like, does everyone get it? Are we on the same page? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and you almost like you want, you want someone who fights for their work a little bit, you know? I mean, you don't, you definitely don't want an argument, Yes, Um, but, (laughs) but like, you know, but if, yeah, you want them to be passionate about their work. And if they're passionate about their work, then likely they're going to want to defend what's in front of them. But like that, that's a, a healthy tendency, you know, until it gets into something where it's more about like defending yourself than the work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, which is, I think, a trap that a lot of people end up falling into where they sort of get personally invested to the point where it's like about them instead of about, you know, about the work. Yeah. Um, whereas like if this culture in the studio is about like best work wins or like, you know, moving the best work forward, um, then, you know, that kind of creates a, a sort of an environment or an undercurrent where people sort of understand the context with which you're having those critiques or those conversations. Yeah, that can be really frustrating. I think in the in those situations where it's like either pitting, you know, teams of art directors and copywriters against each other uh, for an idea for a pitch or like the feeling of competition um, amongst your like design peers or writing peers. Um, competition can be healthy, but I think you really need to like observe if the if it's getting out of control and if there is um, a misunderstanding of like why something moves forward more than another, like check if there is some kind of favoritism going on, like what is going on? Um, I think like it's not an atypical approach to starting out on a project, but then I really do think it's like in the responsibility area of a 
manager or creative director to consider that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. Well, you know, because I mean, we talk about this with bias all the time that like bias can be unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you might like someone better, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and like you really need to be critical with yourself as a leader and like think about like, am, like, am I being too hard or am I not being fair or like what's what's behind this? Because I think it's, it's very easy to see yourself as being, you know, as as being perfectly fair. We all like to believe that we are, um, but that might not always fit the facts. Yeah. And everything we're talking about feels so far removed, I'm sure, from that initial point where someone's like, could I grow a business? When they're like, I have a <laughs> lot of like lettering projects or like logo yeah. projects. And then all the way down to like, am I considering like the the environment in which designers are like, it's just like, it's it's so different, you know? And I think the point at which you are able to develop um, maybe new processes or a new way of critiquing or just like, you know, pivot or evolve based on like feedback you're getting from your team. All of that stuff, I think, really helps um, helps make sure that the the culture isn't just coming from you. Yeah, that it's like <laughs> that, not top down. Yeah, that's not just completely top down. Um, but that that's like, that's probably the biggest learning experience if I could like send out a message is like at a certain point when you think that you can start a business and it's totally based on a passion or your own career, like designing or lettering or art making, just know that the the problems that you solve for along the way can feel very removed from the first, um, the first thing that got you into the business. And I really admire a lot of people that rise to that challenge and try to like check in with themselves the whole way and um, educate and, you know, add on new skills. I also admire people that know their limit or know who they are and bring on the right people to support things that they think are important, whether that's like a, you know, someone that's going to deal with finances or is able to pitch better or is like going to build out the HR arm Um, and all of those things just like stemming and um, from this one place of, of being like, I love design. I love art making. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It gets, it gets really complicated really fast. (laughs) Balloon. (laughs) Um, But it's rewarding, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's work worth doing. I I, like, you can't, you can't do this just focusing solely on the work. Like, that you, you yeah you, you won't you won't get far like that i mean you will by yourself um but yeah that's not a studio um to talk to me a little bit about other moving forward like you know where where do you want the business to go like where where are you trying to get to yeah so other is you know it was always born out of like a personal design practice and so in that way it's like kind of grown and shrunk and flex. It's very fluid. And so I think right now I'm in a period looking at personal design practice and trying to understand like what that means and uh, better defining those pillars I just (laughs) shot out in this (laughs) podcast. But also like um, it's going to sound super silly, but like always re- checking in on like mission and vision and making sure that that's still true. 
Um, what are the values? What are the type of works I do? Recognizing strength through the years, recognizing um, the work that's good. So I'm in a very like observing uh, mode right now where I'm trying to reassess everything that's happened in the past like five years um, to plan for the next five. And I think that's another thing that people um, can cheat themselves out of is like reflecting back on how to make change in the future. And so even when things are like a little slower um, or a little smaller, uh, that's how I want to use that time for the future. But it's always going to be, I think, I think others always going to be rooted in branding and kind of exploring experimental design work um, just because I think that area is very ripe and rich for um, redefining or change or um, it really sits at this kind of like intersection of uh, having to be flexible and observant, um, a little bit trend focused, but also like uh, built on experience and history and All of that really amounts to storytelling, and that's what I love. (laughs) (laughs) So a couple of uh, quick questions here before we we wrap up. Mm -hmm. Um, So first of all, um, I'm curious what tools you're really reliant on. Mm, uh, Yeah. I mean, I live in Adobe Illustrator. Um, Yeah just super comfortable with that, uh, method of creating visuals. And then I rely heavily on Photoshop as well. And I'm a big suitcase fusion person, although I did a poor job of initially organizing my fonts. So now there's like thousands of fonts in (laughs) just like random attempts at organization. Um, and then a new, new player, new contender is all of the um, like kind of collaborative programs and apps like Figma has been really cool. Yeah. Um, I am not the best at Figma yet, <laughs> but it's really incredible to be, especially now to be able to like collaborate um, and work on things with people in different cities. <laughs> so that's the toolkit. Um, nice. And uh, if there were, is there like a, a business like book or resource that you would recommend to people who are considering starting their own studio? Run studio run. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, yes. Um, I actually really, really love reading Harvard business review and I, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Been there. yeah. Um, maybe like not the expected answer because it's not directly tied to the creative studio industry, but it's been really helpful. Um, I think it's second nature to look for inspiration. Um, and it's not as, uh, natural to me to understand like different, um, processes for like leadership or managing or like that side of business. And so I love the way Harvard business review, um, has like really tangible examples uh, in all of their articles. So I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And then last one, is there anybody you sort of look up to or try to model yourself after as, as a business person or as a creative? Oh, that's a good one. There's a lot of people I admire. Um, It's kind of, 
that's kind of like a two two parter question for me because one is like at for business and like yeah. running a studio and one is just like creative right um so i actually am really inspired by <laughs> i'm all, this is so cheesy i'm really inspired by almost everybody <laughs> i mean <laughs> creatively because there's there's always something to observe where you're like wow they have this like trait or quality or like drive or something's really interesting about them that like sparks a lot of creative energy which i think is like maybe the definition of being an extrovert <laughs> um yeah. and then in terms of like running a business or a studio um there's a lot that I admire. Uh, I mean, we both know Brent from Moniker, and mm-hmm. uh, I really admire the just excellent quality of work that they put out. Um, they're also a bit smaller, and I'm just like the sheer consistency uh, and quality of work is incredible. I just, yeah. that's a thing where I'm just like, I don't know, maybe it's a magic factory in there. Um, <laughs> and then another studio in Chicago, uh, Normal Studio is run by Renata. And that is just um, another studio that blows me away. Uh, it's also quite small, but um, similar kind of consistency where I think they're very like value and belief driven. Um, they do a lot of branding and cultural projects and they I don't think Renata ever sacrifices like her beliefs um, when she takes on a project. And so not only is the work like of a really high quality, but you can tell that there's just like such a a similar kind of like investment in that relationship and understanding that client and the project. And I don't know, another magic factory. maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Um, Eileen, thank you so much for, for speaking with me. I, I really enjoyed it and just like kind of hearing the, the passion and thoughtfulness that you, you bring to building a studio. It's really, uh, inspiring for me. I love it. And I really enjoyed talking to you too. And this was so cool. Thank you so much for having me and discussing, um, all of these hard hitting, but really important topics with me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs>